Bible, it's Mark chapter 9 and verse 42. It's Jesus speaking. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And quite, quite appropriately, it begins like this in verse 42. Chapter 9, verse 42. If anyone causes one of these little ones... Those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung round their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. During the week, you might have seen this story on the news. It was about a jogger in London who uh, was jogging along one of the bridges and he, uh, someone was in his way and so he pushed uh, the woman um, away from him as he, as he, uh, and she fell. And the, the, the picture you can see right at the top there is actually her falling right in front of a bus. All right. So this is a guy jogging along, and uh, this woman was standing there, just, I don't know, standing in his way. So he pushed her, and she fell in front of the bus. Now, she was fine, um, and there's no serious accident. But um, they're still looking for who that guy might be. Okay. I wonder whether, just with two or three people next to you, just answer this question. Why might you have pushed the woman out of the way? All right? That's the question. Why might you push the woman out of the way? Can you just turn to somebody, or two or three of you, just in the circles, three or four ideas each, all right, out of your groups. Why might you push the woman out of the way? Okay, Ian. Do your running around bit. (laughs) Okay, some ideas. What did you say? Let's uh, just quickly grab some ideas from what you said. Why might you push the woman into, out of his way. Why? Okay, we're going to use the microphone so we can pick it up. He didn't want to he stop. He didn't want to stop. Someone else, in your groups, what did you say? What did you say down here? Hang on. He was impatient. He was impatient down here. He was on his way to getting another PB. <laughs> he was on his way to get another personal best. <laughs> okay. He was so focused on what he wanted, he didn't care about anybody else. He was focused on what he wanted. Didn't want... Anybody else? What did you say? Anything different? Right over the back. Excellent. <laughs> Do you know, it's just like, just like watching Usain Bolt. He thought he was more important than she was. Say again? He thought he was more important than she was. He thought he was more important than she was. Jamie over here? He had a bad day at work. He had a bad day at work. <laughs> just having a bad day at work. Someone else, did you say anything different? Anybody say? Yeah, Sunday? I thought he couldn't pick on the, on the man because he, he ran past the man before. He didn't push him. Then he went to the woman. Then he pushed the woman down. <laughs> this, begins to, this begins to unveil veil the dark recesses of our own mind. He could have pushed a woman, a man under, but no, 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 I'm going to go for a woman. Yeah. Maybe 
tired of running and they wanted to get it over and done with and he was getting annoyed by the woman not moving so he just pushed her. To be honest, on that, I think he was fine, wasn't he? He was right to do so. I mean, on that, on that reading, yeah, just, it's a great reason. Just beforehand, she could have said, you need a sports bra, mate. <laughs> I think we'll stop now. Thank you. Now, here's the question. Here's the bigger question that I don't really need you to answer outright. But how many of you know, how many of you felt, actually, I know how he felt... And I have felt like that myself before. Not running, but just... Pardon? When people get in your way. Yeah? Yeah? Steve said to me as we came in and saw the slide, he said, yeah, well, I felt like that loads of times. Any, do, you, do you know what I mean? When people just get in your way. Is Ian the only man in the room that goes, actually, I know how that might feel? Well, probably. But no, actually, I think lots of us would go, yeah, well, we kind of, it's not right. We'd hate it if we did it. Sometimes when people are, are walking towards you on their phone, am I the only person that's ever tempted not to move? <laughs> I really hope I'm not. So what's that got to do with this text? Jesus was speaking about what it means to be church together. What it means to be a people together. Why do we come to church? Philip Yancey said, I go to church. Philip Yancey is a writer. I go to church as an expression of my need for God and my need for God's people, God's family. This week in our church, we've dedicated Leah, who's one of our youngest, uh, youngest members of our family here, and we've buried Sue, or we've had the funeral service for Sue, who was one of our older members. The family of God, it's what we do. We welcome and we farewell. I wonder what it would feel like if when you came to church week by week, you looked at the people around you and you made the assumption they need you. Not what do I need from them, but actually those people next to you need you. What would you, how would you act? What would you do if you thought actually the person next to you needs you? When these young folks stood at the front this morning, what lots of them said about the best thing about being at camp together was... We were with others, and I, knew, I got to know other people. I found new relationships for some of them because, actually, it might be that you spend a lot of time away from Christian relationships. And suddenly, for 10 days, you're in a context where people, you don't need to explain yourself. You don't need to go through that kind of embarrassing thing of, yeah, I go to church. Yes, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. Actually, I'm with people who know me. What if for those of us who are older as well, the person that's sitting next to you, they need you? Three things that Jesus says about what it means to be the people of God. The first is, be careful how you treat each other. If any of you 
cause one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble. It would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. In the previous story, we've heard about Jesus dealing with children and Jesus dealing with other disciples who are not part of the 12. Who are the little ones? Well, the little ones... Uh, in Jesus' mind, I think, were people who were not really one of us or they were easily overlooked. And Jesus says, be careful how you treat people who look weaker than you. Because if you deal harshly with them, it'd be better for you to have a millstone around your neck and then for you to go swimming. Harsh words. Last night I was reading um, the biography of, uh, the autobiography of Bruce Springsteen. Uh, singer. And he talks about being brought up in the Catholic Church in New York. And he talks about how those early years put him at odds with the church. He has a personal relationship with Jesus, he says, but actually, I've got no time for church. And when you read the story, his early story, it's because of the harshness of the people they encountered in church. It was the judgmentalism of the people he encountered in church. I, I, I don't want to go into any more detail about what Jesus is saying here, except to say this. Jesus saves some of his harshest words, not for people who are outside of the kingdom, but for the people who are inside the kingdom. If we wear the name, the badge of Jesus, and we treat each other harshly, or judgmentally, or we cause other people to stumble, we're in a dangerous place. Be careful how you treat one another. It's why when we dedicate Leah, that thing of coming with Leah in my arms to the church and saying, this is Leah. If we just think children are just a bit of a nuisance, woe to us. And since you're here, I might as well tell you, those of you that normally don't sit during this sort of sermon stuff, because you go through a junior church, you really matter, and we want you to matter to us. We know that most of the time you go out after sort of 20 minutes, and you do your own stuff, and I think what you do is great. But we want to tell you that we would be poorer if you weren't part of our church. And we want to tell you that we don't just want to put up with you. <laughs> we want you to know you're valued. We want you to know that you're valued. Jesus says, be careful how you treat one another. And then he says, be careful how you treat yourself. Be ruthless. And he says three things. He says, if your hand causes you to stumble, or if your foot causes you to stumble, or if your eye causes you to stumble, then cut it off or pluck it out. And essentially, what he's using is big language, sort of like almost cartoon language, to say, actually, do you know what? You've got to be really ruthless about the way you deal with yourself. As the, the little poster says, don't give up what you want most for what you want now. It's kind of like and since we've been talking about runners, it's kind of like knowing that if you're going to run this race, you have to put in, make the sacrifices that actually make the race able to be won. I was watching last night at the athletics, and um, 
You saw Mo Molum. If you were watching last night, you saw Mo Molum. And um, Mo no, no, Mo Molum. <laughs> <laughs> it was in the Dead MPs race. Did you not see the Dead MPs race? <laughs> Um, the other one, Mo Farah. <laughs> I want you to know, I, I don't actually write out my sermons in full. Would you ever have guessed? <laughs> um, I watched Mo Farah get silver. It didn't kind of end in the way that we all hoped. He wouldn't, he, it would have been nice if it had got gold. But at the end of the race, they interviewed him, and he had his kids with him. And they talked about the sacrifices he'd made for the glory he'd had. He's been away from home almost permanently. He's not done the stuff that perhaps he would have wanted to have done. He's not eaten as he would have wanted to eat. <laughs> He's not had the social life that he might have wanted to have. Because actually he knew what he wanted. He knew what he was built for. He was built to run. And it's kind of like, well, what will you sacrifice for what you know to be true? And Jesus uses this sort of like very vivid language. If your hands cause you to stumble, if it's what you do, cut it off. And he said it'd be better for you to enter into eternity, into the kingdom, without a hand <laughs> than it would to go to hell. And the word he uses is Gehenna, which is the rubbish tip in Jerusalem. He said it'd be better to live life with God without some of the stuff that you really would have wanted rather than to end up in the rubbish heap realizing that you gave your life to the wrong thing. And then the final part of this is verse 49. He says, everyone will be salted with fire. Now, that's a strange thing. That's a strange thing to get your head around. Salt's good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? That's perhaps easier. Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. The language is the language of salt, which is a life source. You can't survive without it, but it can be useless. And what Jesus begins with is he talks about a salty sacrifice. Everyone will be salted with fire. The backdrop to that is the way that sacrifices in the temple were made. That often the sacrifice of grain in Leviticus would be brought with salt and it would be offered as a sacrifice to God. And he's talking about disciples and he's saying, all of you, you're a sacrifice to be offered. It's like Paul wrote about in Romans 12 where he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Because God actually wants to use you. But he can only use you if you've got a salty life. Salt's good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? And the idea was that um, the salt, sometimes it wasn't pure salt. It had all sorts of stuff in it, including sand and, and sometimes other chemicals. And so what you thought was salt just ended up being so diluted that it was good for nothing. And then thirdly, a salty community. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. 
In Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. What does all this look like? It looks like people who go, we want to offer our lives to God. We want to say, Lord, we're yours. We want to be people who are different, who actually live out a different alternative community. We want to be people who are actually at peace with one another. It's why when you look around this morning, it's great. We're from so many different backgrounds, so many different nations. I was reading uh, a couple of weeks ago about the fact that in the UK, most white folks have never had black folks for a meal. And most black folks have never had a white folks in their home for a meal. Not even once, let alone regularly. Because we keep to ourselves, you see? It's easier, isn't it? But actually what the church begins to look like is a community that's actually different. Where it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your history is. It matters actually that you belong to Jesus. I'm going to bring this to a close with a long quote. It is a long quote, but bear with me and I'll, I'll make sense of it. A guy called Don Carson said this. He said, ideally, the church itself is not made up of natural friends. You understand what he means by that? It's made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything of the sort. Christians come together not because they form a natural gathering, but because they've been saved by Jesus Christ and they owe him a common allegiance. In the light of this common allegiance, in light of the fact that they've all been loved by Jesus himself, they commit themselves to doing what he says and he commands them to love one another in this light. They are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. That's quite a powerful way of saying it. So here's the way it works out. If you're part of our church, and we know that we've got a lot of visitors with you, and it's been brilliant to have you with us, and we're open every Sunday. (laughs) But here's the deal. If you belong to our church or you belong to your own church, you belong to it for any time at all, there will be times when you go, I don't fit here anymore. If you've been part of our church for a while, you will have already felt that on occasions. I don't know if I fit here. I've been here for a long time. Thanks. <laughs> and, uh, and there have been times when I felt that. I say it to tell you that, only to tell you this, really. It's not uncommon. There are times when you will come to church, when you'll be part of your church, wherever your church is, or this church, and you will go, I don't know if I fit here anymore. Let me tell you why you fit. You fit, not because we all agree about everything. 
you fit, not because there's loads of people who are your exact age or exactly your sorts of people. You fit because you belong to Jesus. That's why you fit here. And what we're doing together is working out what does it look like to be an alternative community. What we are saying to the rest of the world is we want to show you the difference that Jesus can make in our relationships. You turn to the person next to you and you say, you're different than me, but I need you. You turn to the person next to you and go, I'm glad we're not the same. (laughs) I'm glad we're not the same. But once you've told them that, (laughs) tell them you belong to Jesus and so you belong to me. We mumble that bit. We're a bit more embarrassed about saying that. (laughs) So here's the thing. Let me wind it all in. This week, one bloke said, there is someone in front of me, and I've got somewhere to go, and I've got something to do, and she's in my way. Let me just get rid of her. In church, we say together, we want to learn a different way of being. We want to learn a way of being where the youngest is valued, where teenagers are wanted, where the elderly are cared for. We want to be a church together that actually is salty, that is different, that has a taste of Jesus. We want to be a community that's at peace, not because we're the same, but precisely because of Jesus. May we be that sort of people together. And appropriately, we're going to move towards, Ian's going to come. And the rest of the guys. And we'll move towards taking communion together. And I know you know this. If you take communion together regularly, you know this. But let me just remind you of what you know. This is the basis on which we are a community. It's not because we like the worship. It's not because we like the sermon. It's not because we like one another. The reason we're a community of Jesus is because Jesus died and rose again. It starts here. It's the place where we remind ourselves that actually he died for us. And he rose in glory for us. We bring our brokenness And he heals us. We bring our sin. He forgives us. We come together. And he creates us. This is what it means to be church. In our place here, this is the way we do it. Four folks will stand at the front. And um, from your row, you'll come and be offered bread and a little cup eat it and drink it while you're here and then walk round the sides back to your seats in coming in sort of making the way to the front at least two things you will be reminded of 
Number one, you are invited to come and receive. And if you know Jesus and you're committed to him and you're committed to this life of saying, Jesus, I want to serve you because I know the remarkable things you've done, then you're coming to receive. You're not in control anymore. You're coming to receive. And then when you go out back, in about 10, 15 minutes, we're going to send you back out into your world to love and serve him. The other thing that will happen is you'll bounce into the person next to you. Do it gently. And you'll be standing next to someone and you won't know them necessarily. But the table makes us one. And this person that you're standing shoulder to shoulder with is your brother or your sister in Christ. If you've got children, we make it your responsibility to know. We want children to know the significance of communion. We want to know that it's not just something we do lightly. If you know that your children would understand what's going on, then by all means, let them come. You may just want to bring them and you might want to bless them as part of that. If you're not sure this morning that you, you're not sure where you stand with all this, then stay where you are. Nobody will look down on you. It will not matter. If you're going to serve, I wonder if you could come and join us at the front. May the grace of God be ours as we come and we receive the bread and we drink of the cup. May we know again the remarkable sacrifice of Jesus who came, who died, who rose again, ascended into glory. That the world might be put right and includes you in and welcomes you to know the healing in your own life but also that you might be an agent of healing. May you, as the people of God, come together May you receive together. May we be a church for the sake of the world. May we be different because we're following Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and rest on us, we pray. Bring the reality back for us. And as we take and as we eat, may we know you. In the name of Jesus.